Um, many of you, I think we have probably the spectrum of how houses were this morning, whether chaotic if you had little kids or maybe more mellow and calm. Um, either way, it is really a joyous day that we celebrate the birth of Christ. And this morning, uh, our passage we're going to look at is the next passage as we're going through the book of Acts. So it'll be Acts chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, please turn to, uh, please turn to that. Uh, this may seem like an odd passage to look at on this Christmas day, but we're just looking at the next passage, and so you might be a little more shocked about the content of the passage than about just it's in Acts. Uh, Christmas day is one of those days where we try to avoid hard parts of life. Uh, many of us want to have a vacation from what is hard, from whatever suffering or crisis that you're in, and you just want a day where everything is fine. And I think we see this uh, in our culture. We see this as people try to control what happens during this day so much that we actually lose the joy in this day. And we treat this day as the ultimate. And I know uh, you have probably had this view of some day in your life that <clears throat> that day will be the best day. Everything's going to be fine. And if you have children, you think you, your children are going to be obedient. If you're married, you're not going to fight. If you're single, you're not going to uh, face any loneliness. You're not going to uh, focus on work on this day. Um, but we need to realize uh, this day is really like any other day. And that's why we're looking at this next passage. In this passage, we'll talk about crisis and suffering, uh, and specifically in this day of rejoicing. What do we do with that? Uh, this is actually the perfect day to talk about these realities because when you and I are in the midst of crisis and suffering, it's hard for us to hear and understand uh, what, call, what God calls us to do as a community and as individuals. But what we like to do is focus on the giving and receiving of this day, our warm Christmas dinners, laughter of family um, and friends, but really that's not the reason for the celebration of this day. Our celebration goes deeper as Christians uh, than the happiness of being with family, the joy of watching children tear through wrapping paper like their life depended on it. But these are slices of the joy and pleasures of the goodness of God. Uh, they are not the goodness of God. But these are small pictures of God's blessing and his goodness and his mercy. But we also need to realize that uh, many of you here today might celebrate this day, and it's wonderful. Uh, many here uh, celebrate this day, but we celebrate this day with some ache because we know the brokenness of this world, whether it's because you've lost someone in the past year or years before, whether you have broken relationships in your family. Uh, this day is not what you hoped it would be. So we're all here in this spectrum of uh, joyfully celebrating and just trying to make it through this day and to retain some kind of uh, emotional stability. It's no matter where you are in that spectrum, we're glad you're here with us because this is what it means to be a part of a community and a body of people. But the question that this passage will begin to address is what will you do in the midst of crisis? What we have is Peter and John being imprisoned and they leave prison and in this passage, they run to the community, but the question is really, what will you do in the midst of crisis? Proverbs 1, 33 says, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. 
This is a good proverb to remember. We see in this proverb, the promise is not that if you listen to God, you will not have disaster. The promise is if you listen to God, you will not be in dread of disaster. Disaster will come. We live in a broken world. Let me read Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. And this is about Peter and John being released from prison. It says that when they were released, they went to their friends and reported to that what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And they heard it, and they lifted up their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We see here is a movement of uh, Peter and John getting out of prison, and their first movement is to the community of God's people. It says they went to their friends. After being released from prison, just one night in prison, they sought out the comfort of friendship, people who would guide them with compassion and truth. They wanted people who were truly friends with them, who would tell them the truth and would be merciful and loving and gracious to them. And these companions had the same hope that Peter and John did. Their goal was not earthly comfort or possessions. Their goal goal was a true comfort in the great Emmanuel, where Jesus is named, God is with you. And they longed for Jesus to be known. This is a whole different spectrum of the comfort that we desire. We desire uh, tangible earthly comfort, and we long for it. There's something in us that just longs for it. We see Peter and John, what they're longing for is that people would understand who Jesus is and that Peter and John would be bold. And Peter and John were part of this community that prayed for this. And this verse says, they went to their friends. That's probably our English translation. In the original Greek language, it says, they went to their own. They went to their own. They went to people who had the same foundation of life as they did. They went to people who would say, you need to be bold with the promises of God. They did not go to people and say, let's just get you out of here. Let's make you hide. Let's pray that nothing bad will ever, ever happen. They went to their own. Where will you go in your life in crisis? Where will you go for wisdom and support in the midst of crisis? Uh, And the real question is not uh, that if crisis will hit you, uh, crisis will come. This, we live in a broken world. And I say this as someone who 
has walked through crisis. Uh, that my wife passed away 21 months ago. Uh, and that's part of the forming of this community that we walked in crisis together. That I went to you, who, were, who are my friends, you are my own, and you could tell me the truth. You could point me to a greater hope. And are you creating these relationships that, you, that will guide you in the midst of crisis. Because when crisis comes, you and I will not create them. If we do not create them now, if we do not take this pattern that Peter and John had this community that they poured into, that when crisis came, their first reaction getting out of prison was to go to their own. And how are you and I creating these relationships that we see people that are our own Our human tendency is to keep people at arm's length. And when a crisis happens, uh, then our reaction is to get frustrated and say we don't have any friends, no one cares about us. Uh, We need to have a a good community around us that could speak the truth in love and say, maybe it is because you didn't pursue people with the grace of Jesus when everything was going well. On the Christmas mornings of your life where Everything was pleasant and wonderful. When Peter and John looked for help and support, they went to their community. And they went to a community who they knew would direct them to the sovereign God of creation. And this is the prayer of the church gathered. This is the prayer of, uh, it should be the prayer of our church They were pointing each other in the midst of pleasant times and struggles and crisis. They were pointing each other to the sovereign Lord of creation. Peter and John, another interesting fact here is they're they're being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And notice uh, they're not released from prison and they don't run on their own thinking, I've got the Holy Spirit, I'm fine, I'm going to do everything by myself. They have the Holy Spirit and they run to their community. There's a great value in the Christian community. There's great value in people that will tell you the truth and point you to Jesus in your most miserable of times. And what is their prayer? What is the the content of their prayer? As they gathered, what they did is they lifted up their voices all together. They were united in their devotion to God and to communicating with him. This was their devotion which really is not the same as our devotion tends to be. Someone just gets out of prison, and they come to us. We're going to try to organize their life so that never happens again. But in the midst of this, this community of people realized that Peter and John are being persecuted. And what Peter and John need, we see the, the, the content of this prayer is boldness. It is not, may we never be persecuted again. May nothing ever, ever, ever hard or terrible come our way. It's okay to pray that, but the prayer here is boldness because they hoped in something greater. And they had a burden that the people around them would know Jesus. And they understood the way people will know about Jesus and his mercy and his grace is through Peter and John being bold. And they had a deep trust in God's sovereign grace. 
And this trust gave them peace. That there's a God who rules this creation beyond what we can comprehend and understand. What's interesting here is Peter and John, they just leave this, they were in prison. Who was the authority over them while they were in prison? The people keeping the prison. But ultimately, who's in charge of them? The sovereign God of creation. Peter and John were imprisoned by the authorities while God is in control of it all. And what this does is this understanding, it drove them to pray. It drove them to communicate with the one who is truly in charge of everything. Psalm 2 is used here. Uh, This Psalm 2, this is is David calling out uh, the foolishness of nations that plot against the sovereign Lord. And here it says, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This psalm fits here because just as David was being persecuted by Saul, uh, Peter and John are being persecuted by the Roman authorities and the Sanhedrin. And we see that David is protected by the Almighty God. And we see Peter and John protected by the Almighty God. What is the pattern of this prayer? Uh, Really, the pattern of this prayer first is who is God and then what has he done? And then they ask of God that God would give them boldness. In this six-verse prayer, the person and the work of God, the person of God takes up four verses. And uh, the work of God takes up less than two verses. This prayer takes the form of addressing two truths. God is the sovereign Lord of creation, and the nations and people plot against God's rule. And this is the reality of the world that we live in. And both are real, and prayer is the proper response to this. Prayer is not a mystical experience, but a prayer, uh, prayer points to, uh, a proper prayer points to God, and it's asking God to work and to act and to bring comfort and ease and protection, even in the midst of disaster. And this prayer sees God as ultimately the one in charge. He's ultimately the one in charge, ruling over those who had Peter and John in prison. This is something that really should encourage us to pray. Is that God is in charge of all things. And there's no accident. There's nothing outside of his control. And we first need to admit that we don't understand that. Because our minds can't comprehend that. But we see that here as in many passages in scripture. God is in charge of all things. And so when, when you and I are called to pray as God's people, we're not called to pray to uh, a God who could do things. We're called to pray to a God who could do all things according to his gracious will. And this is the God that Peter and John pray to. And their prayer is that they would be bold with the message of Jesus. This 
passage also says uh, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Even the raging nations had a place in God's plan. Even the kings and the rulers who oppose the things of God have a place in God's plan. And it's not our job to understand it because we can't. It's our job to see that the God of the Bible is a sovereign God in charge of all things, and he calls us to communicate and to pray. It says, Look, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Maybe it's Christmas, and so we shouldn't really be shocked about things, but do you really understand what's happening? I had to read this over and over, and I still don't get it. Where they were just released from prison, and their prayer is that they would be bold with the message of Jesus. Their prayer was not that that would never, ever happen again. That they'd be wise, and they'd be able to escape persecution, and never be put in prison. But they understood God is in charge of all things. And they understood the message of the promise and the great work of Jesus is greater than anything else. And so this is what they desire. And I think this speaks to why our prayers many times are weak, self-centered prayer. Because really, that's what we want. We want a God who will give us heaven on earth, will provide us a life that really there's nothing wrong, will give us all the blessings we would like so we can really say we don't need Jesus. There is suffering in this world. You and I cannot escape it. The question really becomes, in the midst of suffering and of chaos and confusion, where will we go? Will we go to a community that will speak the truth and love to us and will walk with us in the midst of our tears and brokenness? And will we pray that we would be able to be bold with the truth of Jesus in those circumstances? Really, a request for boldness and not comfort reveals that, uh, really reveals the God that this community serves. The great hope is not a pleasant Christmas morning. The great hope is we celebrate the birth of Jesus because he lived the life that you should have lived and I should have lived, but we couldn't. And he died the death that you deserve and I deserve. And it's only of his free grace that he says, here, I did this for you. As you and I, as people, as we can understand that, this will cause us to be bold. Not brash, that's very different, but it will cause us to be bold, that we will be able to proclaim the hope that is within us. We have a natural movement toward comfort, and that is revealed in how we pray, and how we live our life, and how we organize things. The great hope in Jesus is that uh, we will not dread disaster. That we won't live in fear in this world. We'll know that we serve a God who holds us tighter than we could ever hold him. And the content of our prayers may be the beginning point of our struggle. 
The more we pray for boldness, the opportunities to promote the goodness of Jesus, the more our idol of comfort would be addressed. And we could admit we really don't want that to happen. Verse 29 says, Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while stretching out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They pray above all things that Jesus would be glorified. That a God-given boldness would result in Jesus being proclaimed. That a God-given power uh, through people would allow people to know that Jesus has full authority over all things. What is the result of this prayer? They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continue to speak the word with boldness. God answers their prayer. Is this the prayer that you and I really want to pray? Is is this the life that we really see that Jesus is calling us to? to be people of boldness. And boldness does not mean that uh, you can say everything that you need to and proclaim the truth of the promises of God. Boldness is also that you'd be bold enough to love the unlovable. That you'd be bold enough to forgive, truly forgive people who've hurt you. That you'd be bold enough to repent of your sin and to own what you've done wrong. And you'd be bold enough to proclaim that you have faith in Jesus. Serving Jesus means we'll be stretched. We have this in the story of Peter and John. It's, they live a life that is moving more and more toward humble reliance on God and on the Holy Spirit. And to be able to pray this prayer for boldness, we need to understand we're praying this and we will be stretched as a community. And then what do we need? We need each other who will tell us the truth. And we need to spend more time in prayer asking God to do great work. So maybe the start of being bold for you is just beginning to pray. Maybe your boldness was actually this morning that you actually came to church. That's wonderful boldness. Maybe the beginning of your boldness is talking about spiritual things with your family or your housemates or your neighbors. Maybe it's reading and praying daily, asking God to reshape your heart to invest in what is truly valuable. Maybe it is praying every day for the people you interact with. Maybe it is taking that bold step and risking a relationship to explain the hope that you have. So people know the great hope that we have as Christians is not that we get presents on Christmas morning. Uh, The great hope that we have is there's a God who is deep and persistent in love, and he sent Jesus who completed salvation. He paid the debt for your sin and my sin. And we might think we're moving to him first. We take the first step, but God is the great initiator. He has moved to you and me first. He is a God of grace and mercy, and he embraces you, and he holds you, and he cares for you. So when crisis comes and disaster come, you will not dread them. 
because you are held secure by the God of all creation. This is the Christmas message. This is the message of Jesus. That at the birth, the incarnation of Jesus, it points to his perfect life, his perfect death, his resurrection, his ascension, that he is Lord over all creation. That's what we mark this morning. And so this morning, one thing we'll do together as we prepare our hearts for communion is we'll say the Apostles' Creed together. It's written in your bulletins. If you would grab it, the reason why we'll say this this morning is if you read this and you can say, yes, this is what I believe, and, and understanding, believing in Jesus, that he is perfect and sinless, we come to him repentant. Believing these things, we rightly come to this table and receive nourishment from who Jesus is. So please, repeat with me the Apostles' Creed this morning. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we ask as we come and receive the elements of this table that we be nourished, that our faith would be strengthened and encouraged, that we would know more and more of your goodness and mercy and of your promises. And we thank you that we can celebrate this together as a community. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen.